Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, the weather has started to change a little bit, which is good. It's not warm yet, but it's getting warmer. And so it makes you think of spring cleaning. Anybody here do spring cleaning? Yeah, I hate it. I mean, I, I just hate spring cleaning. First of all, there's the changing out of the clothes, you know, and uh, where you, you bring up all your spring and summer clothes and you take down all of your winter clothes, which for me is good because my, my winter clothes, you know, two shirts like take up the whole closet or something, you know, so, so big and bulky and everything because I'm a tall person. You know, thank you, thank you, as, as that is. And so we have a, a two-bed, a two-floor house with a basement and our boxes with our clothes are in the basement. So I've got to carry these boxes from the basement all the way up to the third floor, change them out, take them all the way back down to the bottom. Then we do all of this cleaning that you only do once or twice a year, like move your refrigerator and clean behind it. It's spring. Why do we have to move the refrigerator? You know, let the stuff keep growing under there. You know, what? what's the problem with that? But we got to do all of this spring cleaning and open up the windows and get the house all clean. But the worst is outside. Oh, my goodness. Outside is awful because Dawn plants these flower beds, and she wants these trenches dug and just say, deeper, deeper, you know, do that. Now, last year it was good. I had a hernia, and so I couldn't do it, you know. So, that, you know, when you're glad you have a hernia so you don't have to do this kind of spring work, you know there's a problem out there. But spring cleaning isn't always pleasant. Well, we're going to be over in Mark chapter 11 today, Mark chapter 11, and we're going to see Jesus do a little bit of spring cleaning, and it's not going to be very pleasant because it seems whatever Jesus does, wherever he goes, he seems to cause trouble. So we're continuing our Troublemaker series, and it's over in Mark chapter 11. We're going to actually begin in verse 15. Mark chapter 11, we're going to begin with verse 15. And the first thing we see is this. Sadly, some people use the church for their personal gain. Now, I know that stuns you, but some people actually use the church not for the glory of God, not for God's kingdom, but for their own personal gain and nothing else. Look down to verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began to drive out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, it is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers and thieves. And so Jesus, he goes into Jerusalem that day and he goes into the temple. Now, the temple was one of the most amazing structures in the entire world at that particular day and time. The original temple had been built by Solomon, and it was destroyed in 586 B.C. by the Babylonians. And so you had this temple in ruins for about 50, 60, 70 years until the time of Ezra and Nehemiah when they came back and they tried to rebuild the temple. But it never had the old glory. And then right before Jesus, in about 19 B.C., Herod the Great decided to rebuild the temple to its former glory. 
And he undertook a project that was one of the biggest building projects of the entire first century. And it took 80 years to complete the temple. But by the time of Jesus, you're about 60 years into that uh, in this particular period. And the temple has been restored. It's glorious. Got a picture here of what the temple uh, most likely looked like uh, when you went into it. You know, you see the, the, the huge walls that are there. Uh, you see that those two outer courts with the Roman porticos. Those two outer areas was called the court of the Gentiles. Now, that's going to be very important for us, the court of the Gentiles, because a non-Jew could go into that part of the temple. A non-Jew could enter in there, and the purpose of it was for non-Jews to be able to hear the word of God and to be saved. And in Zechariah 14, Zechariah talks about the fact that one day Gentiles are going to enter the temple court and find the Lord. And so that was the area they could enter. And then the part in the middle was where a Jew would enter to actually worship there in the temple. So you had this magnificent temple uh, that had been built there. You had the Gentile courts on the outside. Now, there is still a wall of that temple that exists today. It's the Western Wall. Uh, Dawn and I, when we were in Israel, this is a picture we took uh, of that Western Wall, often called the Wailing Wall. Uh, Probably, how many people have actually seen that in their life? Yeah, a whole bunch of you. Yeah, nobody passed the the mid, the only people set up front got to see that. Anybody in the back ever see it? Oh, one person in the very back. Okay, but they're in the sound booth. So that, I mean, that, that's a little bit. All right, anyway, uh, this is that what's called the Western or the Wailing Wall. This would have been that outer wall that was there. And on the other side of it would have been the Gentile court. So Jesus, we're told, enters in. And when he comes in, he is very upset at what he sees. And what does he see? He sees basically a bazaar in the, in the Gentile court. Now, this is Passover week, and so pilgrims are coming uh, by the thousands to Jerusalem to worship there during Passover. They've got to have sacrifices. They've got to change money because the Jews considered Roman money an abomination, so you had to change it over into the temple coins, and uh, you had seriously souvenir stands and things like that. And the high priest had said every one of those things can be put in the Gentile court. And so when Jesus enters the temple into what's called the Gentile court, you basically have a bazaar. Uh, You've got people selling animals to be offered at sacrifice. You've got money changers offering an exorbitant rate, kind of like when you land at the airport in in a different country and you've got to change your money and you know you're getting ripped off, you know, as soon as you see the exchange rates and and things like that. You know, they're doing that in the temple court. You have people selling, you know, the, the souvenirs. They've got the snow globe and the refrigerator magnets of the temple and everything, you know, that's there there when you enter in and people are buying all of that stuff. Uh, it's kind of like when you get off of a cruise ship and everybody invades some area there or something. There was probably a Diamonds International when you got off and, a, and a, you know, one of those T-shirts that changed colors. Well, uh, I got a picture here of a cruise ship there. This is Venice, right when people are getting off the cruise ship in Venice, Italy. You see all the vendor stands and all the cruise ship people just invading Venice, Italy. As a matter of fact, Venice has gotten so overwhelmed, they've now said only three days a week can cruise ships come in because it's causing so much chaos when they're doing that. That's what Jesus sees in the temple. 
And not only that, he sees people getting ripped off and he sees prices that are more than they should be. And he sees Gentiles that instead of coming, trying to learn about God, are just trying to make a profit off of other people. And it makes him really, really angry. And we're told that he makes a cord, we're told in the Gospel of Luke, out of some rope. And he begins to beat the people behind the counters. He begins to throw the tables of the money changers over. And you can see the coins flying everywhere. He takes the cages the doves are in and he smashes them. And the doves are flying all around the temple. And when people are coming in with extra supplies for the, for the booths, he runs them out of the temple and doesn't allow them to enter. So when anybody ever asks you, what would Jesus do? (laughs) Making a whip and beating people is within the possibility, okay? Just know that as you go through your everyday life, all right? Just just put that in the hopper somewhere to, to hang on to for later. So he is really, really angry. And he's causing trouble. Because everybody selling something in the temple is giving a kickback to the high priest. And so the high priest is now losing major profit on one of the busiest shopping days of the year. It's like Christmas Eve and they're being run out of the, of the mall. And why then is the question, is Jesus so angry? Because the temple is supposed to be a place for people to find God and to enter into a relationship with God, to come with their problems and their hurts and their troubles, to come and get encouragement and love. And instead, all of these seeing is, is the main street of Gatlinburg in the summertime. And he's saying, this isn't what it's supposed to be like. This isn't the purpose of the temple. You're using God. You're using the temple instead of coming to worship and to learn and to grow and to find healing and peace and salvation, and it made him so angry. Now, we could look around today, and we could find example after example of, of people who use the church for their own personal need. The, the, the easiest thing would say, well, what about all those televangelists? That would be easy. You know, you could have people like, uh, remember Robert Tilton, and we found out that Robert Tilton, uh, all of the letters that people were sending him, the prayer requests that they had, were going to a bank, never went to his ministry, and the bank was opening them, taking the chair, check out, and throwing, throwing the letter away. And when the IRS actually investigated, they found 10,000 letters in this bank dumpster that was coming in. And so not, not caring anything about anything except your own personal profit. We've got two ministers out there today that are wanting you to pray and give for their private jet uh, that they have. One wants $54 million. Uh, another, you know, wants to, to, you know, really be frugal. He only wants the $40 million Learjet, you know, as it's there. Hey, I'll take, a, I'll take an Altima. You know, that, that's fine. You know, you know forget that, you know, wh- whatever's out there. You know, I'm fine. I'm fine with it. You know, whatever. But, but you know, it's, okay, well, they're using it for their own personal need. And we say, well, that's egregious. We know about people stealing from the church all the time. In the last association I, I was in, uh, the associational secretary stole $180,000 uh, from the association. And uh, when you, when you, we had a meeting where they were going over everything that had been stolen, and there were items on there that had put on the associational credit card, and there was Victoria's Secret lingerie and Jim Beam whiskey. And uh, one of the pastors says, I can't believe these charges are on there. And I said, well, I, wait a second. I think those are okay. I think that was the pastor's Christmas dinner. But <laughs> nobody thought that was funny but me. 
But I thought it was really funny when I said it at the time, but nobody else laughed. And so, you know, I just had to kind of go on then, hang my head, and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So we can see egregious stuff like that. But what about other ways of doing it? What about other ways of saying it's about me instead of it being about God? What about when you come to church, you say, everything's got to be the way I want it. The thermostat better be set the way I want it so I'm perfectly comfortable. The, the seats have better be comfortable. It better be the kind of music that I like. Chip had better show real funny pictures. There haven't been any funny pictures yet, you know, or anything. And, and you know, if everything's not the way you like it, then you're not going to be happy and you're going to complain and whine and not, not get what you want. Because it's not about serving God. It's not about being a part of God's ministry. It becomes about us. I've got a friend that pastors up in northern Virginia. And he said one Sunday morning before church, he was just walking down the hallway uh, in the preschool wing. And he saw two young couples. And they, had a, they each had clipboards in their hands. And he said he walked up and he said, hey, can I, can I help you all? And they said, no, 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 you, you can't help us. Uh, we're going to about five different churches this morning. We've got 15 minutes at your church, and we've got a checklist of things we're going to need before we visit a church, and we're just seeing how many of those you have on your checklist. And I told him, well, you could have taken security in the preschool wing off of their checklist because they were in the preschool wing walking around with a with pet. But anyway, that, 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 was, that was another problem they, they might have had there. But what's that? That's consumerism. I'm looking at the church as I would look at anything else. Who's going to provide me the most of what I want? When that's not what the church is about at all. The church is a family of God on mission for God in the world to change a hurting, lost world and to show them the love and grace of Jesus Christ. And if all we make it is another consumer thing, where are you going to give me all of my needs then we've totally missed the point, and it's why Jesus got angry here in the first place. It's all about you. It's all about your needs. It's not about the glory of God and the kingdom of God. It's not about a world out there hurting and in pain and lost. It's only about you and what's going to make you comfortable. And so Jesus is really angry, and he cleanses the temple, does a little bit of spring cleaning. But that causes trouble. As I said, it causes trouble because Think about all the people that lost revenue that day. Think about how the religious leaders have just been embarrassed because the chief priest had said, this is okay in the Gentile court. And then he's getting kickbacks on it. And now they made him look bad and they've lost revenue for him. And that brings us to the second thing we see. A lot of people get angry when they're told the church isn't about them. A lot of people get angry when they find out the church is not about them. Let's see what happens in our scripture passage. Verse 18, after Jesus cleanses the temple. In 17, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer. He's quoting Isaiah 56, 7 here. Then he says, you've made it a den of thieves. That's quoting Jeremiah 7, 11. So he's just called the chief priests a den of thieves. Okay. Now that's something that probably would have irritated them. So how do they respond? Look at verse 18. The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this, what he just said about them. This is a den of thieves. And they begin to look for ways to kill him because they feared him. The whole crowd was amazed at his teachings. Okay, that just escalated. He ran people out of the temple and the response of the religious leaders is, we have to kill this guy. 
And the reason they want to kill him, we're told, is that they're afraid of him. What are they afraid of? They're afraid of they're going to lose their power because the people take him to be a great prophet. And the people are saying, yeah, the chief priest is just ripping us off and getting rich on us. So they're afraid of that. They're also afraid that what's going to happen is the Romans are going to hear what happens and they're going to come in and remove them. So he's a threat to their position. He's a threat to their authority. He's a threat to their profit. He's a threat to their power. And they fear that they may lose those things. And the reaction back is we have to kill this man because he's a threat to us and we're afraid of him. Whenever people think they are losing something... There is a threat to them because that, that, that they now, I'm losing that, therefore I am being threatened. And people generally respond to a threat in losing something with anger. And that's what the religious leaders are doing. It's like if you come in and you walk down the aisle and uh, you come in and you find somebody visiting this church is sitting in your chair. Yeah. And then, man, it's like game on, you know. Hey, I sit in that chair every Sunday morning. Not only do I sit in that chair, my daddy and my granddaddy sit in that chair. Only these chairs are only about two years old, so that's probably not true. But you sit in that, in that, in that row, okay? Your family sat in that row since the time you were a baby. You give good money to this church. You participate. You go to prayer meetings. And now somebody that doesn't even come to this church and has never given a dime to it has the gall to sit in your chair? Wouldn't that make you angry? Has it ever made you angry? Maybe they may. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doing it right now. You know, had to sit behind them. I pastored a church where one Sunday morning a lady came in. Three-fourths of the church was completely empty because we were a blowing, going church at that time. And she walked up and said, excuse me, you're in my pew. And they got up and they moved, and we never saw them again. You see, they missed the whole point of what was going on there. And the point was you should have been happy and excited that there was somebody here. You should have been so thrilled that God has brought someone into this room that can hear the word of God, that can worship God, that can find a family to care for them, that can bring their troubles and their hurts and their pains. They have their doubts and their questions answered. And instead, all you're thinking about is yourself and what you might lose in this. And when you do that, you respond with anger. And that's what the religious leaders do. And that's what we see in church all the time, is that whenever something doesn't satisfy us or what we want or the way we think it should be, we respond by whining and complaining and gossiping and talking behind people's backs because we didn't get what we thought we wanted. When the truth of the matter is, it's never about us anyway. This isn't your church. This is God's church. And he has saved you when you didn't deserve it, and he's made you a part of his family. And as a part of his family and his child, you're now expected to be a part of what he does in the world. And that changes everything about how we view what goes on here. What most of us do is we spend our whole life battling our own personal sins and worrying about ourselves. And Jesus said, man, on the day you accepted me as Lord and Savior, all that stuff was dealt with. 
You were saved. You were forgiven. You're going to heaven. I love you. I'm going to be with you. It's time to stop thinking about yourself and not start thinking about other people who don't have what I've given you. And so we have to make that transition to it being just about us to it being about somebody else. But one of the things we have to do is that when you make that transition, there is a sense of loss. I've lost something now. Uh, It used to always be about me, and now I've got to transfer that over, and it's how you do it. But there's a bigger picture, something better, something greater going on. When I pastored in Virginia, uh, we only had about 30 people that that came on Sunday evenings, and uh, um, they had a really bad winter. Just snow and ice every weekend, it seemed. And most of the people were senior adults. And one Sunday night, a lady came to me and said, Chip, the weather's just too bad. Let's cancel Sunday evening uh, until the weather breaks and we all agree. So we talked about it and I said, okay, then we'll cancel Sunday evening. So for the next four weeks, we didn't have Sunday evening. After that, the same lady came up to me and said, the weather's changing. Why don't you announce we're going to start having evening worship again? So I got up that Sunday morning. I said, we're going to start having evening worship again now that the weather's getting better. When the deacons found out we weren't having it a month later, they got really upset. Now, they, they didn't attend. You know, they, did, they didn't even know we weren't having it. But when they found out there was a sense of loss for something they weren't going to. And we do the same thing. We have people complain about the music we play in this service, and they go to the second service. And I said, don't worry about what goes on in here. Just, just black the doors out and, and act like it's some weird cult or something. You know? don't, don't worry about what happens in there. Just go to your service. You know? But we make everything about us. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture. The church is unstoppable when we're serving in faith. It's useless when it's all about us. The church is unstoppable when we're serving God together. It's useless when it becomes all about us. Now, here's the interesting thing. The story we've just talked about of Jesus cleansing the temple is bookend by a really weird story. There's something at the beginning and something at the end. Same story, and it's cut off with the, with the cleansing of the temple. Now, we often separate the two stories. They're not separated. The reason that, that there's one at, it's at the beginning and the end is they have to do with one another. And this is Jesus cursing a fig tree. Now, when you hear it, the first thing you're going to think is this. Man, not only is Jesus a troublemaker, he's now a troublemaker to fig trees. This guy's a troublemaker everywhere he goes. So let's see the bookend story and see what it has to do with anything. It starts in Matthew 11, verse 12. It says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry and seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. So one of the things you get out of scripture, Jesus and the disciples always got up early and they never ate breakfast. Okay. You know, I don't know what the deal was. It's the most important meal of the day. Uh, but they're always missing breakfast. And so they're always getting criticized for taking the, 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 the stalk and eating off of it and things like that. So here's again, they've left early. There, there's no breakfast or anything. I remember the old uh, Disciple Now weekends with, with, uh, with Nathan, Emily, and he always would provide the host home with honey buns. 
And some of these honey buns are like three years old that he bought in cases at Sam's or something. You know, they come and they have honey buns. And so it's say, okay, you know, it's seven o'clock in the morning. You got to be ready for disciple now. Get out of the house. And they're throwing honey buns in the van and everything at the kids as they're going in there. Well, that's kind of like Jesus and the disciples. You know, Jesus would have thrown honey buns at you or something when you're getting here. So he hasn't had anything to eat. He's hungry and he sees a fig tree in full leaf. Now, fig trees... The normal bearing time is not in the spring, but there is a spring season where there are some figs on the trees. And this fig tree looks good. It's in full leaf. So Jesus is expecting to find some figs like this when he goes up there on the tree. He's going to take some figs. He's going to have a little bit of breakfast. He's going to be satisfied. But when he gets there, there aren't any figs on the tree at all. And so let's see what happens. Verse 14. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. So they don't think anything about it. Jesus goes up there. There's no figs. He says, may no one ever eat figs from you again. You know, he probably wasn't that dramatic or something. But the disciples heard him say that. Then you have the story of the cleansing of the temple. And after the story of the cleansing of the temple, Mark thought, I think I'll go back and tell you what happened with the fig tree. Why is he doing that? Because the two stories are going to have something to do with one another. So let's see what happens with the fig tree after that. Verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered what, had, what Jesus had said. And he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. So the fig tree is now withered. And the disciples are amazed at that. They've seen Jesus walk on water, heal the blind, and cast out demons. But they're amazed when a fig tree withers. You know, that's kind of how we are or something like that. And so, you know, they're looking at us. What in the world's going on, man? You said the fig tree be cursed. It's cursed. So now Jesus is causing trouble for fig trees. You know, he's quite a troublemaker. So what do these stories have to do with each other? Verse 22. What did Jesus say about the fig tree being withered? Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and doesn't doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them and your father in heaven will forgive your sins as well. What's it got to do with each other at all? Well, this is what the fig tree probably looked like when Jesus saw it here. It's a fig tree. It's in full bloom. It looks really good. And he goes up to the fig tree, but there aren't any figs on it. And so it might look really good, but if there aren't any fig trees, is it worth anything? No, it's useless. And the point is, the religious leaders looked really good. They're in full bloom. When people see them, They're the holiest people in the nation. They are the chief priests and the religious leaders. But when you get up close, you find out there's no fruit. There's nothing there. It's all about them. All they're doing is sucking out all of the resources. And they're giving nothing back. And so Jesus said, just as the fig tree's cursed, so are people who it's all about them. They're the same way. They're just going to wither because they're giving nothing back. All they're doing is taking in. And then Jesus says, but have faith in God. 
Man, if you're stepping out in God's will, in God's plan, trying to do things for God, you can accomplish anything. You can tell a mountain to move, and it'll move. But if it's all about you, you've just become useless, and you're going to wither because all you're doing is taking resources, and you're giving absolutely nothing back in return. You see, what Jesus wants us to understand is that our life is about so much more than us. We're about a big picture, a picture of being a part of God's work and God's will and God's kingdom. And the way you live and the things you do affect other people. It affects your family, your children, your spouse, your friends, the people at your workplace. And the way you live was supposed to have quite an influence on everyone. But if all your life, all it's about is you, and you suck everything out of everybody, and you never give anything back, then you're eventually just going to wither away. But when you give to others, then you will be able to accomplish anything. And so Jesus is trying to get the disciples to see there's so much more that can be accomplished. We think we're losing something if it's not about us. You're not losing anything at all. You're gaining more than you could ever imagine. Yesterday, some of the kids that were involved in the, in the missions retreat that our, our student ministry did, they, they helped clean up the, the home of a man that, that had a lot of problems out in his yard with trees down and everything. And there's a video of that guy. I wish we could have shown it on Facebook, uh, but they didn't share it the right way, so we couldn't do that. But anyway, we'll get back and share it another time. But anyway, uh, the man is standing there talking to the kids, And he said, I didn't didn't think I could get this yard clean. I I can't believe what you've done. I've got so many problems. I'm hurting so much. And then the guy starts crying. And he tells them, you've changed my whole life. A few teenage boys go to a guy's house and clean out his backyard. And he said, you've changed my whole life. You see, that gives more than you lose by not being about you. Those teenage boys could have said, no, 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 we're not going to go out in the cold and work at somebody's house. We will get cold. We will get dirty. Why can't we stay at church and play on inflatables? That's what we want to do. And if I go, I'll be losing something. I'll be cold. I'll be dirty. I won't get to play. But when they go and they serve, they gain so much more than they lost. They changed somebody's entire life. There's been a lot of rain in Southern California, and when Dawn and I were out there in January, uh, it rained almost every day, but something happened that we'd never seen. And we've been going out to Southern California because our kids lived there for years. Everything became green. Hillsides that we have never seen anything except dirt and, and, and rocks were bright green as far as you could see. But Dawn, something happened in the last couple of weeks that went beyond green. It's something they say only happens once a generation in Southern California. There was so much rain, there was so much green that came up from the grass that was sprouting everywhere that something called a super bloom took place. And this super bloom, this is actually a hillside in Southern California. These are not planted flowers. And most of the year, every year, that is nothing but dirt and rock. 
And now a super bloom has taken place in Southern California. Now, I want you to stay with me for this illustration for a second. How did this super bloom take place? It took place because something first watered it. And that's what happens in our lives, okay? You are here today, a lot of you, because you have been watered by the love and the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus has done in your life has so transformed you that you have become a super bloom. But the purpose of the super bloom isn't for you to say, give me more rain and I'll throw some more flowers out there. Do you know what else has happened with the super bloom? Something that only happens once a generation. Swarms of painted butterfly ladies have started coming from everywhere into Southern California. Something never seen except once a generation. And it happens because all of the pollen and everything those flowers are throwing in the air makes these these, uh, butterflies uh, thrive. And something that's never, never seen is now happening. One was watered and it bloomed. And because of the bloom, other things begin to come to life. That's what the Christian life is supposed to be about. You can come here every Sunday morning and you can say, give me some more water. Or you can come here on Sunday morning and you can say, I'm blooming so that someone else's life can be touched. And when you do that, you're not losing anything. You're gaining more than you could ever imagine. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for loving us so much. Help us to look at our lives and how we're living it and to say, Lord, it needs to be about you, not about me. When we do, we'll gain more than we ever lose. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we come to this time of invitation, and there's several things you can do during this time. You can come and pray at this altar. We've got ministers that would like to pray with you and just just let you know that they care and, and just take your problems and troubles. You can come and say, I want to join this church and be a part of what this church is doing. You can come and say that I believe in Jesus Christ and I want him in my life. I want to follow him as Lord and Savior. I want to follow him in baptism. But one thing I hope that everybody does as you're sitting out there is you begin to look at your life. Because you see, there's times all of us just think about ourselves. I do, you do. But to say, Lord, help me to have the right focus this week. As I go out this week, let me know you love me, you saved me, and I'm only blooming because of what you've done. And then make it a conscious decision that you're going to affect other people this week. That you're going to show them love and forgiveness and patience and kindness that you're going to give them help and care, that this week you're going to be a person that looks out for others. You're going to lose some things if you do that. You might lose a little bit of money, a little bit of time. You might get smacked in the face by people who don't care if you're trying to help them. But you do it anyway. And I guarantee you what you get back in return will be so much more than you're going to lose. Amen. Well, happy St. Patrick's Day. Brother Larry, you're wearing green. Come on up here. There you go. Come on up, Michael. This is Michael Griffin. And Michael comes to this morning to say that he has asked Jesus Christ into his life. Amen? Amen. Best decision you can ever make. Michael came to us all the way from Kansas. He's been visiting us for about three or four months now. Is that right? And uh, 
feel like God is leading you here and, and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life. Amen. Amen. So we're glad you're here. You'll be praying for Michael, will you not? Amen. Our deacons are lined up over here. They're going to be coming by and speaking to Michael. And uh, you come by and, and introduce yourself to him and tell him you'll be praying for him that you're glad that he made uh, this very, very important decision. Would you do that, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the decision that Michael has made. We thank you that you affect people so much that they see their need for you. So, Father, just be with us now as we leave this service. Go with everyone here. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening, and join us next week for another message from God's Word.